Hi there, I'm Imlin Miles Manning, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place where you can come for your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation to not only experience the success in those areas yourself, but to help others in our community achieve greatness as well. I'm super happy to get on with the show, so let's get going. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, owner and president of Gen Next Wealth, a financial planning and investment firm located in the Central Valley of California. Today, we are going to be joined by the one Louis Barajas. Louis is a nationally recognized consumer money and small business expert, a sought-after speaker, media guest. He was recently selected by CNBC's Advisory Council and named to Investopedia's Top 100 Financial Advisors for 2019. He serves on the Diversity Advisory Group for the CFP Board for Financial Planning. He has previously served on the National Advisory Board for the Journal of Financial Planning three years and was selected by People in Espanol for Top 50 Beautiful People an issue as a person making a difference in the lives of Americans and named to the Small Business Journalist of the Year by the Los Angeles District Office of Small Business Administration. Lewis has done so many different things and, and his, he has a laundry list of accomplishments. Not only has he done those things, but he's written numerous books and talked about many different financial topics for business owners, minorities, celebrities, and really focusing on the Latino community. And I don't want to waste any more time talking about Lewis without letting him go ahead and jump in. So, Lewis, thanks for coming on to the show. Evelyn, it's, it's my pleasure. I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm actually very excited to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me as a guest. You know what? It, it's an honor to have you. And this is the idea of something going full circle. I remember listening to you on another podcast and just listening to how you developed your business. And I want you, know, I want you to talk about that a little bit but listening to your journey and your passion for the people that you were serving and everything you were saying, I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. And so here we are two years later and I'm doing some of the things that you were doing and some of the things that you encouraged me to do. So I, I thank you the, the the listeners are going to be in for a treat on this. one. Well, it's nice to hear that. I'm, I'm always flattered when somebody takes my advice or at least uh, starts implementing some of the advice that I give. No, no need to recreate the will. If it's already been done, I, I will just follow in your footsteps. That's so right. With that, Lewis, tell us a little bit about your background, your business. How'd you get into this? Well, I'm going to try to do this in a nutshell because the last time I did a podcast with Michael Kitsis, I think we ran like into two hours and I know yours is down to like 30 to 45 minutes. So here, real simple, just grew up with immigrant parents in the barrio of East Los Angeles. When I was 11 years old, my dad lost two jobs and asked me if I could help him with his business because I was the eldest and I spoke English. Long story short, you know, he starts a business and we have no idea how to, how to run that, no idea about the paperwork. And I, you know, I filed my dad's tax returns at the age of 13 because the IRS showed up and my dad hadn't filed tax returns for a couple of years. And then a couple of years later, we got audited for those returns, went to the auditor and asked me how I had filed the return since I was only 13 years old. I told him that I read a book about it. And that's how I made it out of the barrio, right? I just made it out of reading. And I was also raised by my grandmother. The reason I read books is because I had an uncle who was a meat cutter who used to love books. He used to buy two books. And I always tell people we had the first Oprah book club before Oprah had her book club in East LA. What happened was that going through this whole process of helping my father and out of necessity, right, and responsibility more than anything else, I made a commitment to him that one day I was going to go to college and learn everything about business. So I ended up going into, into UCLA. 
I ended up going to Claremont Graduate School and getting my uh, MBA. I studied there when Peter Drucker was there. And if you don't know who Peter Drucker is, shame on you, people who are listening to me after this podcast, you need to Google who Peter Drucker is. I went straight into financial planning. I started back in 1985 going to the College for Financial Planning. I think I got my financial planning designation, I think, in the late 80s or you know, maybe 90, but it was like 80s. And I worked in financial planning for three years because I figured I'm going to learn everything there is about stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And I worked with a firm that's a big national firm, and I really was disappointed. To be quite honest with you, I was out there in my community doing financial planning. I, I led our firm in financial plans, but was at the bottom of the list of people making money and doing commissionable work. And so at some point, I would go back, and I knew that they, I was told, you should get your clients to start saving for emergency reserves. Best place to do it was probably at the bank because they weren't charging any fees for that. When I had a conversation a year later, when I basically was failing at selling, my manager came to me and says, you know, you can put people in money markets and annuities, and it's the best thing for both of you guys, right? The annuities back then were paying 5 6% commission. My clients were going to make any money, and I felt the pressure to do things that I wasn't comfortable doing. So I left the profession back in 1986. And so what I did was I moved into the world of trying to get a CPA. So I ended up at a firm in Newport Beach, California. Lo and behold, I didn't know that the clients they had there were multimillionaires and billionaires. And if you don't, you don't know, you're too young to remember, but back in the 80s, CPAs couldn't sell any financial product. They were mm. basically the, the trusted advisor, the go-to person. They brought me and I started working on some high-profile cases. But because I had already had a financial planning background and was already working on my CFP, they asked me if I can help do financial planning to some of their wealthy clients. Well, their wealthy clients back there were like Donald Brent of the Irvine Company, who's a billionaire. Um, I hate to tell you back then, but Donald Trump was one of our clients back <laughs> then. And we had a lot of re big real estate developers. And I was doing financial planning for 25-year-old kids who were worth $25 million. This was back in the late 80s. Uh, but back in, and so I said one day, I said, wow, this is real financial planning. We're building for the time and the complexity and uh, I wasn't selling any products whatsoever. And I said, if I could bring this to my community one day, it was just one of those wishes and one of those thoughts. And in 1990, the lady who also raised me besides my parent, my grandmother, because my mom got pregnant with me at age 15 and had me at 16. My grandmother ends up having dying from the complications of a heart attack. My uncle who bought the books, who was my grandmother's eldest son, committed suicide weeks later. And then my first daughter was born. And on September 8th, 1990, the day that my daughter was born, I met this gentleman at a coffee shop uh, by some synchronistic event who just spoke with me. And I was really depressed. Uh, my daughter was born, but I wasn't happy. And he saw that in my eyes. And we had a 30-minute or 45-minute conversation. Honestly, I don't even remember the, the amount of time we had. But he spoke to me and told me things that changed my life. I went back to the hospital, held my daughter. My parents showed up three hours later. And I said, Dad, I'm going to quit my job at Kenneth Leventhal out in Newport Beach, California. That's not part of Ernst & Young. And I quit my job and I went back to the body to basically take financial literacy and financial education back to my community. My dad, I, uh, my dad was right in the heart of selling. He had an ornamental iron shop. And for the first time in 15 years, he had above a seafood restaurant where his, where his shop was at, two empty rental properties, their apartments, and he converted those into my office. And that's where I started. And I started working with, with basically the underrepresented, the underserved and, and the poor. And I stood there for 15 years and, uh, you know, and that taught me a huge lesson. So that's a quick story of how I got there. And from there, I ended up writing books because of my experiences of working 
with the poor and then the underserved. Again, that was the community that I had that I was born in and raised in. And and it's it's interesting in, in financial services how we get in to help the people that we think need the most help. And then the only way we can actually be compensated is to not help the people that we get in the business to help. You know, it's amazing, right? And and not only that, but then what happens when we then at some point when we sacrifice our lives to go back to the communities and the people that we want to help, they don't know what to do with us. And so within the communities that are underserved, you realize that if you're trying to do the right thing, there's not a lot of people showing up at your door, right? And you're competing against other people who look just like you, that you know, the same skin color, the same language. And to be quite honest with you, I had a heck of a time. I mean, I had a bachelor's from UCLA, an MBA from Claremont Graduate School. I was already a CFP. I, I, I had worked for the biggest firm. I was doing financial planning for multimillionaires. And honestly, the first year, I don't think I made more than $5,000, $10,000. And I was competing against people in my own community selling products to our community that didn't deserve to be sold. And then our, I couldn't get people to come in and pay my fees, and which I had re- drastically reduced to a tenth of what I was earning at Kenneth Leventhal. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the conundrum, right? Like, so you're in this thing, and talk about it a lot, uh, especially you know advisors of color that are coming out of these different life circumstances and want to get that information back to them because they're like, where was someone? Like, I've heard you t- saying your story. Where was someone to help me? this 13 year old boy trying to do my taxes, tell, trying to help my dad do taxes and help me have some understanding of what's going on. The only way I could do it is I got to pick up a book and learn it myself because there's no one out here that is doing this. Now you got to understand this and think about this. When I went back though, there really was no internet, right? There really was no financial <laughs> literacy. Just so you know, back then I was working with the Latino community, right? It's like 50 to 60% of Latinos were unbanked. Forget about, you know, buying insurance or doing financial planning. They were not even, didn't even own checking accounts or savings accounts. That's what I had to go up against. And here's the problem. The problem is I grew up really poor, right? I mean, my parents did not have much while I was growing up. I had the most wonderful parents anybody could ever have. But you don't know that you're poor when you're poor. Then what happens is you work really hard to break out of the barrio and get highly educated and to break into a a community or a different class, a socioeconomic class, and you're in there. Then all of a sudden you go back to the barrio and you forget Then you realize, oh my God, no amount of financial literacy is going to help this community because there was a mindset that I was actually having to, to fight. I was not fighting the financial literacy. I was not, my biggest obstacle were not the banks trying to sell annuities to clients or cash early life insurance policies. The biggest obstacle that I had overcome was the poverty mindset of the community that I grew up in. And there was this whole scarcity mindset. And so that's how I started, actually started speaking and doing little seminars in the local coffee shops there, anybody who could hear me. And I eventually turned that into the first book that I wrote called The Latino Journey to Financial Greatness, which is about overcoming limiting cultural beliefs about our community. And I've now had an opportunity to write five books. I'm writing my sixth book. I've had an opportunity to travel the country, speak to African-Americans, Latinos, anywhere there's underserved. And they all tell me the limiting cultural beliefs are pretty much the same where there is, it's more about socioeconomics. It's about, it's the class, where you grew up, the type of people you hung out with, you know. So I've learned a lot over the last 30 years and I continue to work in the same space. But now my space is trying to find guys like you who are willing to do the right thing and go into their communities and help them out because I'm really involved in 
bringing diversity into the financial planning industry, but doing it the right way, right? That's what we're trying to figure out, how, how to bring in as many people within the African-American and Latinos into this industry and to hopefully at some point do fee only and charge for their advice and be valued for their advice. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as, as you and people like Sandra Davis have been out there kind of trailblazing this trail for advisors like myself that are following in, in your footsteps, working with our respective communities, I think that when you're talking about those limited money beliefs or those, those, those money scripts that you, that people have, and, and you, when you're used to having nothing, you just you act different. When you're operating from a position of scarcity, it's not only about the, it's not, like you said, it wasn't the financial products. It was just, we operate from a different mindset. And there's a whole thing called the minority money mindset. And with that being said, I see some of the work you do, which you've labeled yourself as the financial life healer. There's some healing that has to take place and some acknowledgement that I think of some of the the behaviors before. So I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. I want to just ask what the, you know, you called yourself the financial life healer. And the second thing is, is what is the Institute of Financial Healing? Because that's something that, that you've started, right? Right. So, okay. So here's what I've seen in still in, in communities that still don't have access to financial planners of color. Okay. There's a tremendous amount of mistrust. There's a tremendous amount of stress, worry, concern, anxiety, sleepless nights, panic attacks. Stress causes cancer. Stress causes all sorts of physical maladies, right? And so the problem is the profession has not come up with a solution to work with people of color. And so what we're trying to do is create a completely different paradigm on how we're going to approach them. And I'm going to give you a quick example. All right. And just so, and I think everybody who listens to this will, will get the epiphany of how financial planning should be done and how we're going to heal this community. But let's just start with education. So where I grew up in East LA, there's two high schools. And when they play football against each other, they fill up East LA College Stadium, like 40,000 people show up for this high school game. But the two high schools have over a 50% dropout rate. The kids that make it out of the high school, only 4% ever go to college. And I think only 1% ever graduate from college. All right. So when I'm sitting with people in Irvine, California, it's very different than when I'm sitting with somebody who comes from East LA. When they come to me and the parents say, I, I want to start an education plan for my kids. I want to start saving for college. Now, if I, let's just say that we're gonna, you're, you are going to, you're going to be sitting down with, with Agapito and Sarah Barajas, my parents, and they say, Emlyn, we want to make sure that our kids go to college, so we want to start saving for, for college, right? The conversation that most financial planners have been taught is, great, well, let's take a look at what colleges you want to get into. How, how many years away is he from? You start going into this mathematical stuff and say, well, and, and he's going to go to, uh, I don't know, he's going to go to Stanford. It's going to cost this much. We have so many years. This is what you need to put away, and we're going to do it through a 529 plan. Maybe in California, you can use a scholarship. Well, let me just share with you the conversation you should be having with me, a healing conversation and saying, what's the goal? Well, to have enough money to send my kid to college so he doesn't have to pay for college so he doesn't come out in debt. That's not the goal. The goal is, you didn't ask me, in my situation, I was the first kid, and not only my, my parents, but in my entire way, me, my parents and my mom and my dad's family to ever graduate from college. Nobody else graduated. So you didn't ask me, well, what are Lewis's, so you two have never been to college? No. What is Lewis's GPA? How many times have you asked any of the parents that you're working with what the kid's grade point average is? Because what if they tell you that his grade point average are C's and D's? 
and you start saving a 529 plan for me, Emma, we're making the biggest mistake. What's his self-confidence level? How's he doing in English and how's he doing in math? How engaged are you, Agapita and Sarah, in Lewis's education? Do you go to parent-teacher night? My brother is a teacher in East LA and was a teacher, I think, in Compton. And when he had parent-teacher night, he said he'd have maybe two sets of parents show up for a class of 30, right? The problem is we got these kids going into maybe even if we can get them to graduate to go into community college and never even transferring to a regular college and never graduating. So you could have a million dollars in that in that 529 plan and you're not going to help this family out at all. But the problem is that you've told a 529 plan is what we need to do and let's take a look at the college. You've looked at it the completely the entire wrong way. The problem is we're not using the highest and best use of money for our community. So what needs to happen at this point is we, whoever's listening to us, whoever's working in these underserved communities need to take a step back and say, what are we trying to do? So I actually had a conversation with a mother and I said, close your eyes and tell me what you see. They didn't tell me we have 200,000 in a 529 plan. Well, she says, I see, this is a true story. I see a man and she's telling me in Spanish in a little hat and, and this dress. And I say, oh, a cap and gown. Yeah. She goes, she's a, he's a white tall man. And my daughter is climbing up the stairs with her cap and gown. And this man gives her a hug and gives her this rolled up piece of paper and she graduates from college. Oh, you see your kid graduating from college. That's the goal. So what do we need to go back to? We need to send the kid to self-esteem courses. Do we need to get hire mentors, tutors to get their GPA up to give them a fighting chance to graduate? So the, so the life healing, the financial life healing is going back and really saying our own financial planning industry has taught us to work with the top 10% of income earners or asset people in the entire country. You and I are dealing with probably the bottom 90% and probably maybe the bottom 50% that really need help. And you are going to approach the way you approach financial planning in a completely different way that's going to heal these communities because there's a tremendous amount of scarcity, worry, mistrust, people doing things to their own selves in their own communities, people of the same color, you know, hurting each other. We need to heal these communities. And so the Institute of Financial Life Healing is going to create programs that we're going to roll out in the next couple of years into communities. So I'm already working with, I can't tell you who right now, but some major corporate sponsors who are, we're going to create these because we need to retrain financial planners while working in these communities. And you know, and I know, you've already said in your podcast a thousand times, right? Only three and a half percent, for example, of certified financial planners are African-American and, and Hispanics. And I will tell you that most of those are not working in the communities that really need help. They're still working in communities that they're doing the 529 plans and they're, they're doing the modern portfolio analysis, asset allocation diversified, you know, with DFA or, or Vanguard. That was a long answer to your No, it's question, good though. It's, yeah. It was thorough because, because I think that when you're talking about healing, you're going all the way back into what's really going on. Like your parents, like I, th- I think about my wife, like, you know, we talk about this all the time and my wife, my wife's parents, she was telling me about when they wanted her to go to college. They didn't like quite understand everything. They just knew that this is what you're supposed to do. Like, I need you to graduate because I want you to have something better than me. And they might not understand how important the grades were in high school to get them to college. This new, you know what I mean? They didn't understand the little intricacies of what you have to do when you get there. My wife wasted one full year at junior college because no one was there to tell her that she only needed to go and take these this many classes. And then she could have went on to Fresno State and graduated from there a year sooner. But since she went through, she was able to reach back and tell her sister, say, hey, you know what? You don't have to do that. Just come to Fresno, stay with me. And she actually saved her sister a year of school. So it's, you know, it, it's, that is the healing that you're talking about. That is the information that we're lacking. 
Yeah. So like my, I always call my sister, my sister, Sandra Davis always says, meet people where they are. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what has to happen is that financial planning can heal a lot of lives. And the problem is that we need to get away from the script because schools and, and organizations and associations have taught us to work with the top 10% of America and really with the top 5%, right? And so there has to be a different way to approach. And again, the problem is the people who've been teaching it probably didn't grow up where you and I grew up, right? And didn't have the same circumstances that we had. And even though I, at the same time now, I work with Latin celebrities because we have a business management firm that really, I mean, and those things came out of sheer luck. I, I mean, those, I, I didn't go after any celebrity, right? They came to me at some point, but my heart and my passion, I call it occupation. My occupation instead of occupation has always been in, I, every time I see someone, I see my father, my mother, who maybe if they would have had access to an Emlyn or to a Luis Barajas in the community who knows where they would be right now. Now, my dad's done really well for himself because I've done more financial doing than planning for him, right? Because, I mean, I've done my dad's tax returns forever. I've got them their insurance and taken care of everything. But, um, you know, it, there needs to be a, a, a mind shift in our own industry, right? So, so that's what I think needs to happen. So as I go into the next question, how can we rescue ourselves from our own financial worry? Because I know that that's something that you that you talk a lot about, and I want to step out of the way and let you talk about how how can we rescue ourselves from financial worry? Well, you know, it's 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 really it what 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 needs to happen is that like any kind of concerns or any kind of worry, it's the anticipation that worries you the most because you haven't taken the time to sit and talk through what you're really trying to accomplish and see what kind of resources are available, you know. Uh, whether, for example, let's just say that you were going to have a conversation with the IRS because the IRS contacts you and sends you a letter and you're going to call them and you're wondering, oh my, the anticipation of you calling and figuring out, thinking what the IRS is going to do to you is worse than actually what probably happens to most people. The, the same thing, you know, if, you, if somebody is listening to us and you're going to get audited by, uh, you know, the SEC or audited in my case, I mean, the California Business of Oversight, I just got audited just by the way, so you know the anticipation of the auditor coming to my office so high instead of me sitting down and taking a look at what I've done and what I have. And when I actually went through the audit, it was not a big deal. So most people in our community, the problem is they don't have access to resources. The same thing with the financial planners, but we don't have access to certain resources. So I think that if, if there's a problem, there's always a solution, right? And there's this great book right now uh, by Marie. Uh, I forget her, her, her last name, but it's called It's Figureoutable. You know, it's figureoutable. Everything's figureoutable. And if you've got a good person like a Lewis or an Amlin who's sitting there with, with a person and sitting down and talking about what their concerns are, what they're trying to accomplish, taking a look at the resource, taking a look at the gap, and taking a look at how we're going to help them overcome them and help them find a solution, that will remove the worry. That will remove the anxiety. That will remove the panic attack. That will remove the sleepless nights, right? But we need good people who are going to sit with them and talk to them and, and, and talk to them about the truth. Again, the truth is when I start, when I told you the story about the education planning, it all made sense to you. It, you said, well, that's common sense. But the problem is we've all lost our common sense in the financial planning industry. We've lost the common sense that when we have a conversation with an individual, when somebody who's sitting right in front of us, we're, we're just putting a bandaid on the problem. 
The problem is that we really have to get to the root cause. And getting to the root cause means that you and I have to have conversations with a client. They're going to go beyond that 45-minute meeting before that four times a year. Sometimes it takes a long time to change the mindset of a person. And changing the mindset, it's like I have kids who actually get accepted to Brown and Yale University, right? And I didn't say jail. I said Yale. And they get accepted to Harvard. And if they're women, if they're young girls, the parents like in the community that I grew up will not let them go because they're afraid to let them go because they're afraid something will happen to them. They're afraid that, you know, it, it's a culture. Latinas aren't supposed to go away. They're supposed to get married. And, and so those are mindsets that I have to work on these clients. So the healing starts with really getting down to the root cause and not being um, afraid to have those, those deep and vulnerable conversations that may open the wounds. And we need to have tools. So, you know, that's one of the stuff that I've been working on for years is working on a lot of the coaching tools to have those conversations. I would say, I would ask, so the question was about talking about money and culture for Latinos, which you, you've started to touch on. So I want you to continue in that. But as a consumer, looking at it from the consumer's eyes, like the consumer's coming to sit in front of the, the financial advisor, which in, its, in itself is scary is, you know, that's really scary. You know, we don't have our money figured out, but we're going to go talk to someone else <laughs> about our money. And then the cultural part of it that that also lends itself to that. I, can you talk a little bit about that from the client's perspective? Not, not so much from the client's perspective, but just what try to help a, someone else that's listening to this be prepared to be vulnerable in front of a planner that's qualified to help. And, right. I, and I say that with the qualified. And, to help. and I got to go back. I'm going to preface all of this by saying that what we need to do is we need to have somehow the only education at this point, because there's so much education. The problem is that people are so, the problem is that they're overwhelmed with financial literacy at this point and conflicting advice. We've got to figure out the, the consumer that's listening to this has to understand that they need to seek out a financial planner who can have these conversations. I, I, to be quite honest with you, I know that there are out there financial planners who are commissioned people who sell products, who are really great planners. But at the same time, the problem is that I'm not going to send my parents to that because I'm not going to risk them being sold a product and come out with some variable, you know, cash value life insurance product. And they're never going to have that conversation. At the end of the day, there's going to be a Lewis Barra said, you bought what? And they're going to mistrust the industry. So what happens, I want to make sure that whoever's listening to it is going to go to a fee-only planner and maybe that they're not just doing assets under management, find out how they're getting compensated and find out maybe if they do any kind of life planning, because I think that the consumer needs to go in and understand that if they meet with someone like you or with me, they're going to be asked certain questions that are going to be questions that are, that are uncomfortable if the planner is really starting to get to the root cause. Because, uh, okay, I will share with you, when consumers come to me and they talk to me about retirement planning and they're in their 50s, one of the questions I will ask in the, in the 10 questions that I ask is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how's your marriage? And they go, well, hold on a second. Where does that come from? What does that have to do with retirement? Well, the problem is I've had you know, hundreds of conversations, and most men are clueless about their marriage. They're telling me they're at an 8 or a 9. And I've had women, and many women tell me they're at a 5 or a 6. And I've asked them, I said, so that's an uncomfortable conversation that I'm having in front of me, in front of me, that if they're going to come in, they're going to sit with me. And I'm going to ask that question because they're saying, this is not marriage therapy, but I'm trying to make sure that I'm saving enough money for their future. And their future is coming. They're coming to me together as a couple and they're coming to me as a family and families with children. It's really important that we help people stay married 
and happy. And, and sometimes I've taken money where they were going to put in a 401k or a set plan or a, a Roth IRA. And we've actually hired marriage therapists with that money to improve that marriage. So yes, if you're going to meet with someone who's going to help you out, if they're going to a Sandra Davis, they're going to you, they're going to meet, they're going to have these conversations. And if they really want to create change, if they just want to come to a financial plan that's going to put a bandaid over their, their, their financial problems, it's different. So it is a scary time to go, but at the same time, the industry has taught our, the consumer that's coming to see us that they should walk away with a product. You know, the, the, basically what's happening, if, let me just tell you, at least I don't, I'm going to tell you in my community, if, if people go to a doctor and don't come out with a prescription, they feel like, oh, well, I, hold on a second. The doctor didn't give you anything? No, the doctor told me that we need to go in on a keto diet and I need to lose some weight and I'm gonna, I won't need to take any medication. No. People in my community, if they feel that way to a doctor, they didn't come out with a prescription, almost like they got gypped. Like, what's going on? So there's ways to get healthy without having to take a certain pill. There's ways to get financially healthy without having to buy Great a specific analogy, product. And you are absolutely right. I am the only fee-only planner in my city. There's only a few fee-only planners in my county. I don't think there's any in the county. And there's a few in Fresno, which is you know 20 miles north of us. And when I try to sit down and talk to someone, I say, I don't sell anything. So I do investment management, but I'm not going to sell you life insurance. I'm not going to sell you anything. I said, we're going to talk about what's going on. And they're like trying to wrap their head around what we're actually going to do. And I was like, look, it, you don't, I'm not going to sell you anything. You're going to pay me for my advice. My advice is what you need, not right. a product. And like, they'll leave and they'll be like, what does anyone do? Like, how does he so make we, money? Yeah. It's like yeah, your parents are saying, yeah. what's my, how's my son living? Yeah. And yeah. you should, and technically to be quite honest with you, if you're the only person in your community or one of the only people, you should have a line of people out the door. Basically when you go to Baskin Robbins or 31 flavors, you know, you get that little ticket. There should be a little ticket outside your door waiting for you. Right. But you don't have a lot of people out there, you know, knocking the door down. And so what's what, so what needs to happen, that's where the healing happens. That's where, the Sandra Davis of the world say, you know, we got to meet them where they are, but that's where the impact is and that's where the change is. And so uh, luckily, you know, you're young and you're new in the industry. I've been around this industry for a long time. I've been able to work with clients for years now, and I've seen tremendous change. People who have done really well financially, but who've been very impactful in their communities. Uh, and I know this stuff works, but the point is that there has to be more people of color who have courage to do what we're doing to actually make some changes. You know, the last thing I want is anybody, I, I don't want to convince a, a, a young Latino or young African-American to come into this industry to sell cash value policies to my community. I'm sorry, but I, that's not what I want. I don't care if you get a CFP, don't have a CFP, to be quite honest with you. Just do the right thing. Okay, just do the right thing. And, and again, there's enough, and there's enough business out there, but, but we have to, figure out a way how to market these services to the community to show them um, what wonderful work we can make and how we can really transform their lives, thus transforming their families, thus transforming their communities. Absolutely. What I wanted to ask you here, this is one of the, one of the questions, because um, you have a book called this, but explain from Wall Street and Main Street to my street. What, what does that mean? Like, all right. So I used to do CNN's Your Money a, a long time ago. I was on for several years. And it was during um, when the first election with Barack Obama, he had just, President Barack Obama, it was uh, during the debates. 
they brought me on CNN Live right after the debate. Said so they talked about money. It was the very first debate. And they said, we've brought Lewis on because today they talked about the debates about money and the economy. But Lewis is a guy who speaks to, the, to, to people everywhere. And he talks about not, not Wall Street, but he talks to people about Main Street. And in that, the interview's on, on, on YouTube, right? And I told the, the, the person who was interviewing me live, I said, listen, honestly, I don't do too much about Wall Street or Main Street, but I can tell you about what's happening on my street. And on my street, people don't have 401ks. On my street, people don't have Roth IRAs. On my street, people don't have IRAs. On my street, people have Social Security. That's what they're counting on. Nobody talked about Social Security. On my street, people don't have health insurance. On my street, it's like people are afraid to buy life insurance because they think that if they get life insurance, they're going to die. On my street, they have they buy homes because the financial planners are real estate agents, and so and it's tangible and people can touch the property. But if they die, they don't have trust. That's what's going on, on my street, and those are the conversations that nobody talked about tonight, right? And so that's what my street. So what happened is um, the next day I got phone calls from every morning, Good Morning America, and said, "Hey, what's this my street you're talking about?" And so what I did is I took the Latino journey to financial greatness. I expanded it and I anglicized it. So it's for everybody. And it, it's, it's, I write to people who are intimidated or overwhelmed by reading financial literature that they don't understand, right? I get letters, believe it or not, I get letters from jails, not Yale this time, it's jails, of they actually have my book, My Street Money and Latino Journey, who tell me, hey, I, the very first book I've ever read my entire life was your book, and I couldn't put it down because I understood it. And that's what it is. You know, I, my street is talking to people about finances the way I speak to my father, my mother, who never even graduated from high school. And, and that's awesome because I think that that's – you said it a few times, meet people where they are. Um, shout out to Sandra. Uh, because I think that the financial services industry has gotten so wrapped up in jargon and scared people that they don't want to ask questions. I had a person come into my office today. One of my, one of my buddies stopped by. He said, hey, man, I just bought a business and I don't know what to do, but I know I can come to you because I, I, you know, I know you're going to speak in a language where I can understand what you're saying and I'm not going to go see someone else. He said, I know you're, this is what he said to me. I know you're going to keep it real with me, man. So tell me what I need to do. What do I need to do? And so we talked a little bit and, and that's what's going on on my street, right? Like that's, that's the real stuff that's going on. People are asking me about their 401ks or what difference between a 401k and a 403b is. And, and do I need a Roth? And do I need a, a traditional IRA? Or do I even need to save for retirement? Is Social Security going to be around? Those are the kind of questions that people are asking me. Emlyn, you, you would be surprised. Let me just tell you, the reason why there is a lot of complexity, and I think the complexity is to try to get people to get them scared that they can't do things themselves. But you'd be surprised. I have grown a lot. I've, I've, I've interviewed probably an advisor once every month in my firm to try to hire somebody. And I will share with you that I will ask these questions to certain advisors and they don't even know. They're just used to selling product. They don't even know. And these are talking about people who actually are CFPs and they don't even know. But the problem is they've been spending the last five years selling products, but they don't know how to do the planning part of it, right? Um, if you ask, I asked an advisor the other day, are you fee-based or fee-only, right? Fee-based is somebody who can give advice, but also can sell a product and earn a commission. And they didn't know. Uh, hold on a second. I got to check. You don't know the difference between fee-only and fee-based and you're in this industry? I go, how could that be? And that's why I'm telling you that it's very confusing. It's very complex. 
we think of it as simple because we love it so much that we read every book. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of books. I've taken more continued education than I think anybody out there, maybe not as much as Michael Kitson's probably, but, but you know, it still can be confusing. And the goal is how do we keep it real? Like you said, how do I keep it simple? I say how to keep it simple. You just said, how do we keep it real? And people know when you're being transparent and honest and keeping it real and, and letting them know what they need. Also, the important thing is letting them know what they don't need, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right? absolutely. So, and, and I think that's just as valuable. Um, the, the, the young kids say, Lewis, the young kids say, keep it 100. That's 100. That's it. Keep it 100. All right. So uh, I don't get, I'm not, I'm not a young kid. I'm, I'm still, I'm still holding <laughs> on to my youth. But uh, the, the mission of the podcast, Lewis, is to change the complexion of wealth. And these are the, the, the questions that I like to, to end, a, end the uh, interview with. But one question one is, is what motivates you or inspires you to continue to grow and learn? Well, I will share with you that economic injustice or financial disparity, income disparity continues to grow. I've been in this industry for 30 years. I've been involved in the financial plan industry at a national level trying to bring young kids into the community. It seems like we're going backwards instead of forwards. So, you know, it seems like I have a second win now. I've been doing this for a long time and I have more energy today than when I first started and try to change this. The most wonderful thing that's going right now that's keeping me inspired are people like you. When I'm seeing the young millennials coming in and really pick, picking up the Michael Kitses and, 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 and Alan Moore basically find, uh, fee only want to really help people. I'm seeing young kids coming out who are saying, I want to make an impact versus instead of I want to make a lot of money. So I'm inspired by that, to be quite honest with you. That's what keeps me inspired to, to learn and grow. Awesome. I <laughs> love it. I love it. Um, do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Education plays a tremendous part, but I will share with you that when I was growing up, I kept saying that, that knowledge is power, and that's not true. I learned a lesson. Knowledge is potential power. I mean, in my website, I have I don't do financial planning anymore. I do financial doing. And to me, wisdom is knowledge plus execution. It's applied knowledge. And so, yes, uh, education plays a big role as long as after you read the book or you go to school and learn something that you go back and apply it and do something with that knowledge. Awesome. I mean, I, I think that uh, it's, it's something that all of the, the guests have echoed. You, knowledge is power. With Knowledge without application is not true power, right? You have to apply that knowledge for it to, be, for it to have the true power. I, I want to ask this question to you just because I know in the Latino culture, fam- family is, is very, very, very important. Not saying that it's not important to other cultures. I just know, speaking from experience, um, it sounds funny, right? Me saying, speaking from experience in the Latino culture. My wife's Latino. That's why Latina, so I can say that. But um, how has your family supported you on this journey? So I have the most wonderful parents. I have the most wonderful wife. I would not be able to do anything or I couldn't have been able to write five books and travel and speak and be an industry leader without the emotional support, right? My parents never had the, give me the financial support, but I never needed it because I, I was resourceful. I learned how to make it, make it on my own, but nobody makes it on their own, right? So I've had tremendous family support. My wife, I mean, I changed the name of the company to Wealth Management Lab because lab stands for Lewis Angie Barajas. It doesn't stand for laboratory. It stands for Lewis and Gibraltar. That's how much support my wife has given me as well. That is awesome. If you could offer 
some advice for our listeners as a parting gift? What, what, what would that advice be? Well, I, you know, there, I'm going to read you this quote because that's, this is the advice that I give to my children and I read it almost every day. I have it in, in one of my notebooks. And if I can give advice, because I go back to the paradigm, we need to have a paradigm shift in how we're approaching our lives, how we're approaching our finances. And here, I'll read it to you. It's, it's, and I don't, I'm, I apologize. I don't know even who, who wrote this, but I, I always let your heart be your compass, your mind be your map and your soul be your guide and you will never get lost. And by that, it's, 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 uh, I, th- that's the advice that I give is that listen to what your, what your, your soul and your heart follow, you know, uh, uh, your, your mind, put those all together. Don't just, just be and think about numbers. Get your heart involved and then look at the big picture. Look at the big perspective. Um, can and can you read that one more time? Can you read I that will. one more time? I'll read it to you and I'll read it to you slower. Let your heart be your compass, your mind be your map, and your soul be your guide, and you will never get lost. I love that. That I, I love that. Louis, you've, you've done some incredible work in our industry. You've inspired me personally, and I know you've inspired hundreds of others, if not thousands. If our listeners want to get some more, Louis, where can they find you on social medias? What, what social medias are you active on, and where can they find you? So I obviously Instagram uh, under Lewis Barajas, L-O-U-I-S, right? B-A-R-A-J-A-S. Uh, website is lewisbarajas.com. Facebook, I have an author's page. Uh, I'm ready to release a new book called The Go Better Entrepreneur, and, and that'll be out at the end of this year. And so I'm available. I'm there, man. I'm, I've always been there. I've always been there to mentor. You know, you and I had a conversation I've never said no to anyone. I've always been there to help people out. That's what been my life's journey. I appreciate that. Thank you again for coming on and, and the work that you're doing and, and continuing to blaze that trail for, for younger advisors like myself to be able to continue the work and doing financial planning for the people that are less fortunate and cannot get it. My, my pleasure, Emlyn. And I will share with you that I am so proud of you and the work you're doing and where you're doing the work as well. And I'm going to pray that this podcast turns into something humongous. So I appreciate good, great luck to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And that is the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are going to change the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now. And give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at Emlyn at MinorityMoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.